Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back to the RR Show. We have another fantastic one for you today. Today, we are dealing with episode 180. And today, we are jumping into a little bit of Dear Reddit. Today, I fucked up. So, ladies and gentlemen, I hope you've been having a great day. Grab your tea and your popcorn, and let's jump into our first story from Wildcat B. Today, I fucked up by not calling for help when I had a high fever, not knowing what take it easy means, and trying to fly home from a business trip. Now streaming, only on Disney+. Plus. My name is Taylor. Welcome to the Eras Tour. Experience Taylor Swift's record-breaking Eras Tour. Does anyone here know the lyrics? Swift, the Eras Tour, Taylor's version, with four additional acoustic songs. Now streaming only on Disney+. Plus. I'd flown to Denver CO for a business meeting. We'd signed a new client and I was going there to learn their processes and systems before we went live handling their freight. I'm a flatlander and had been warned that people visiting Denver for the first time often developed symptoms of altitude sickness. So when I started feeling bad at the end of my second day, I brushed it off as nothing too serious and went to bed. At some point after dark, I woke up dizzy, delirious, and in pain, and I knew I uh, needed help. I'm naturally hard-headed and have a great, huge helping of social anxiety. So actually asking for help is something I'm almost physically incapable of doing. But I needed it. So I split the difference, and instead of picking up the phone and dialing 911, or even calling down to the front desk to croak out to HELP ME, I picked up my phone and googled after hours urgent care, thinking that surely in a place the size of Denver, there must be some sort of walk-in clinic open at night. And what do you know? There was, sort of. So I carefully copied the address into my Waze app, and squinting against the light that felt like daggers being shoved into my eyes, I stumbled through getting dressed and making my way down to the parking lot, then followed the voice prompts across the city to a place called, wait for it, after hours, urgent care. I got there, parked the car, stumbled to the door, walked in, and then realized to my horror and dismay that it was on the second floor. And there was no way I'm going to be able to crawl up the stairs. I was leaning against the wall, contemplating my fate, when there was a ding and the wall disappeared. I caught my balance in time to realize that I'd been leaning against the elevator door, found the large, friendly button with the number two on it, pressed it, and closed my eyes for the ride. The ride up took somewhere between 30 seconds and 30 years. Logic tells me it was probably the former, but my memory insists it was closer to the latter. In any case, the next time I managed to pry my eyes open, I was slowly making my way through the door to the check-in counter, closing my eyes so I could focus and carefully writing my name on the clipboard. A short time skip later, I'm sitting in a chair against the wall, hearing my name being called. I got up, followed the average of the two people leading me down the hall, and... Time skipped again, ending up sitting on a crinkly paper-covered exam bed while my vitals were taken. The nurse asked me some questions, which I must have answered and turned to walk out. 
I begged her to turn off the lights, and she did, and I fell back on the crinkly paper and passed out. Sometime later, the lights flicked back on. I screamed. The lights went back out. A doctor came in, asked me some questions about my reason for being in town, business, and my drug use, none, and left again. I passed out, again. And there was a group of people standing silhouetted in the doorway, wearing gowns and goggles and gloves and face masks and very pointedly not approaching my bed. One of them spoke. Mr. Wildcat, who drove you here tonight? I uh, drove myself. Okay, but we really need to know who drove you here. We need to talk to them. I drove myself. Okay, we need to get you to the hospital. Can you drive yourself or should we call you an ambulance? Uh, give me the address, I'm okay. We'll be right back. I passed out. A while later, the lights flicked on. I screamed, the lights flicked off. Two people squeezed in with a gurney and I ended up on it. The lights were still stabbing me in the head, so I threw an arm over my eyes for the ride down the hallway. And when we were at the elevator and the gurney wouldn't fit on the elevator, or the two people wouldn't fit on the elevator, I was on the elevator and they were gone. And then the elevator doors opened and they were there again. And we were going out the door. And there was the ambulance. But we couldn't get into it. There was a shrubbery in the way. The driver had seen Monty Python. The EMT hadn't. She thought I was delirious when I started quoting, The nights you say, Nee! I probably was. The driver started quoting back. The tech started losing her mind. It was a good time. I passed out. I woke up being rolled through an ER. I passed out. Woke up on a different bed. I passed out. Woke up in an MRI. I passed out. I woke up back on the bed. At some point, I must have texted my wife something like, I'm in the hospital, but don't worry, I'm fine. Because she found a friend of mine who lived in the area and started calling and driving around the hospitals looking for me. I don't know how long he searched, but eventually he found me. So I'm fine. Right? Right? Maybe not. Apparently, I have meningitis. So that's fun. Now, the next part of this that I remember... Very concerned-looking people started explaining to me the difference between viral and bacterial meningitis. So, Mr. Wildcat, if this is a viral meningitis, you just need to rest and get plenty of fluids and it'll clear up on its own in a few days. If it's bacterial meningitis, we need to start you on IV antibiotics right away and there's a good chance you'll die. So how do we know which it is? Well, we can wait for a few hours and see if it gets worse, or we can jab a needle into your spine and take some fluids for testing. Uh, well, let's wait. Or we could jab a needle into your spine. Do I seem to be getting worse? No, but if you do, needle into the spine. If I do, you can start me on antibiotics. Yes, but if we wait, let's wait. Or we could jab a needle into your spine. Do we have to? Well, no, but... This went on for some time, and eventually I gave in and let them stick a needle into my spine. Good news, everybody! It's not bacterial. Yay? You can go home. No, I can't. I'm over a thousand miles from home. You can go back to your hotel. Shouldn't I stay a while? No, no. Just take it easy, drink plenty of water. You'll be fine in a few days. Cool, cool, cool. So my friend helped me sign out, drove me to get my rental car, which was still parked at the clinic, then followed me to my hotel, where we dropped off the rental, then took me to get some pizza, 
that's taking it easy, right? I somehow ended up back at the hotel, passed out again, and woke up in time to go to the next day's meetings. Now, the doctor had said to take it easy and drink plenty of fluids. Fluids are easy, plenty of bottled water. Easy is, unfortunately, subjective. I'm a delivery guy, used to loading and unloading trucks and moving stuff around warehouses, so a day of meetings and walking around is pretty easy to me. So I went to my meetings and I walked around the customer's warehouse and I did what I could to learn their systems, and I had a splitting headache, dizziness, nausea, delirium, basically all the things that meningitis causes. So I just wrote it off as the virus that I'd been told would go away in a few days. And the next day, I checked out of the hotel and drove to turn in my rental car, pulling over a few times to vomit and waiting for my head to explode because I was in so much pain, and took a shuttle to the airport to fly home. The shuttle driver took pity on me and helped me load and unload my bag, and I trudged into the airport to check in. Walking into the airport was like a bad acid trip. The entire building was spinning around me. I spotted the checking kiosk, made my way to it, and maybe because my brain wasn't functioning properly, maybe because the machine wasn't working right, I couldn't get checked in. There was a line at the staff counter, so I made my way to the end of it and sat down on the floor. The next thing I was aware of was an elderly gentleman in a bright red jacket leaning carefully over to me and saying, for what was probably the second or third time, Sir, do you need medical assistance? Yes. Yes, I think I do. And I was lying down. And I was being loaded into an ambulance. I passed out. I woke up. I was being rolled into another hospital, and over the course of the next few hours, I learned the extent of my today I fucked up. Apparently, when you have a needle jabbed into your spine and are told to take it easy for a few days, what you're actually supposed to do is stay in bed so your spine can heal. When you don't stay in bed, your cerebrospinal fluid just sort of leaks out of your spine through the hole they poked into it. Reduced pressure in your skull causes splitting headaches, nausea, dizziness, light sensitivity. You know, all those things I'd basically been writing off because of meningitis. To fix the leak, they had to do what's called a blood patch, which entails drawing blood from your hands and then pumping that blood into your spine by jabbing enough needle into it. Sounds brutal, but the headache and nausea started fading within minutes like magic. I was still sick as a dog, but not apparently in imminent danger of my head exploding. Someone managed to get in touch with my wife, who called my brother, who booked emergency flights for them to come and get me out of the hospital, and I spent the next several days recuperating in another hospital before I was well enough to fly home. True Terrors of Horror bizarre happenings, unexplainable events. On our podcast, Disturbed, Terror Takes Center Stage. Each episode is a journey into the darkest corners of human existence, delving into bone-chilling tales of kidnappings, serial killers, maniacs, and the very essence of your worst nightmares coming to life on this weekly true horror show. Disturbed is not for the faint of heart. It's an exploration of real, unadulterated horror sourced from everyday people. Each episode is a descent into the macabre, where we narrate stories that will leave you on the edge of your seat and crawling in your skin. We navigate the disturbing narratives that lurk in the shadows, 
offering a raw and unfiltered listen into the most terrifying aspects of the human experience. Enter at your own risk and let the unsettling tales unfold in the haunting realm of Disturbed. And remember, listeners, stay safe out there. I don't quite feel like I made it quite clear enough in the story, but I didn't want to stop and explain it because reasons. The after hours urgent care he went to, the joke there was it spelt hours as in O-U-R-S, not hours as in time. It's after hours healthcare. Yeah, I knew explaining it would kill the joke. I should have just shut up, but I talk for a living. Damn it, it's hard for me. (laughs) I saw the title of the next story and I'm rather looking forward to it in a weird and sick and twisted way just because it's very curious. I'm really, it's one of these where I'm really, really, really hoping it's funny and not serious. Because if it's serious, it's very sad. But if it's funny, it's going to be hilarious. In from the Gumi, today I fucked up by not assuming all children are suicidal and hitting a four-year-old with my car. So I was driving down the street, turned left. As I complete the turn, I'm going into a crosswalk. All this time at a very low speed when a four-year-old runs out into the crosswalk and I hit him. I stop immediately, of course, as the mother runs after him. Everyone is screaming. The boy was knocked down and crying. Mum was screaming for a second at me and then in fear. I kept saying, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I couldn't find my phone to call an ambulance. It had fallen into the footrest, so I asked a passerby to call. Then I couldn't figure out how to stop my audiobook, so I had to turn off the car. I got dizzy, sat down on the curb, started crying. I saw the mother stand her son up for a second and he seemed okay. Lots of people came, many to the mother, a couple to me. One lady tried to bring me a water bottle, but I refused and told her to bring it to the mum. Another guy talked to me, just talked. I didn't really respond, but that's why I didn't go into shock, I think. The father came out of the house and started screaming and yelling, first out of fear, then anger. He said he'd kill me and kill his wife for letting it happen. He was pacing back and forth in rage but he calmed down after a couple of minutes. Ambulance arrived, then cops. EMTs checked the kid and then took the kid and the mum to hospital in an ambulance. Cops asked me a couple of questions. Now, I had the presence of mind to call a neighbour who's a lawyer who told me to just fully cooperate. Later, a traffic lawyer told me that was a mistake and I should have just remained silent. Eh, oh well. I sent a couple of texts to my family when it happened and they kept trying to call me. But when the father started acting threatening, I started my phone recording audio and I didn't want to answer a call and have it stop recording. Eventually, I texted them that I thought the kid was okay, but I wasn't sure and he'd been taken in an ambulance to the hospital. My mother drove over from another city and arrived in record time. Knowing her, she wouldn't have speeded at all. There must have been no traffic. 45 minutes after the accident, which felt like two hours, most of the audience was gone. Just a cop car, me, then my mum as well, and the father who was sticking around. Well, they lived right there. An hour after the accident, the father walked up to me and apologised for what he said. He apologised profusely. I understand. 
He was scared and panicked. His four-year-old had just been hit by a car. I just asked if the boy was okay, and he said he didn't know. The traffic evaluator, don't know what it's called, arrived and started asking me questions, had me move my car to where I was when the impact occurred, and measured the exact distance from the curb, etc. A witness also gave a report of what he saw. He handed me my license and said I had four days to come down to the station for an interview under caution, i.e. an interrogation. Four hours later, I got a text from the mother. She wanted to let me know that he was okay, just a couple of bumps and bruises. They were home from the hospital. She knew that I must be worried and wanted me to be okay. I will always be thankful for that. I got a lawyer who specializes in this stuff and met with him two days later. He said I'd almost certainly have my license suspended and if that's all that happens then you'll be lucky. The issue was it was a crosswalk. As he described it, the law sees the crosswalk as the domain of the pedestrian, cars or any visitors. He went over the story a few times with me and said, okay, you're good for the police interview. In Israel, your lawyer can't be present, so I went alone that night. It wasn't as scary as I expected. The cop was pretty nice, though it was clear to me that he was there to get me to incriminate myself. I stuck with my story. The kid ran into the street. I'd seen him before I entered the crosswalk, but he and his mother didn't look as if they intended to cross the street. He ran into the crosswalk when I was already on the crosswalk. He did try to mess me up. Towards the end, he asked if I had anything I wanted to add, and I said, yes. Since that evening, I've gone back there a couple of times. I've tried to think of what I could have done differently. I've tried to think whether there was anything I could have done differently. I paused and took a breath. And he closed the interview file. I was like, wait, I wasn't done. I mean, that's not a good way to end the interview. He said, sorry, document's closed. I can't edit it anymore. He knew what he was doing. It sounded really bad to end my statement with, I wonder if there was anything I could have done differently. I asked again if he could change it, so he opened the PDF of my statement and acted like he was trying to click on it and showed me that it couldn't be edited. Can't be done, he said. I said, oh no, I wasn't done. That's really not a good ending to my statement. He sighed and clicked the edit button in the police program, opened the document back up and let me finish my statement. What the fuck? I finished my statement with, and after thinking about it long and hard, I really do feel that this accident was unavoidable. A much better ending. I was instructed to come back in 48 hours after the mother made her statement for a hearing regarding a 60-day suspension of my license. I came back, sat in front of the chief of police for the Jerusalem District of Israel. He said, you're suspected of a crime specifically impeding a pedestrian from completing his crossing the street at a crosswalk. Do you have anything to say before I suspend your license? I said, yes, a few things. First, I feel that this accident was unavoidable. He cut me off and said, your lawyer told you to say that. I said, right, but I really do think it's true. The cop told me he'd read my statement so I could move on to the other stuff. I told him I drive 30 to 40,000 kilometers per year nearly all of them in the city, and that this was the first accident of its kind I'd been involved in. I gave him some letters from veterinary clinics all over the city that said I provided a critical service to their clinics, and that I needed a car to do my job. I pick up the bodies of deceased pets. I gave him a letter from my boss detailing that I was the only one in the region who provided that service. I told him that my full-time job, dog boarding, had basically disappeared since COVID hit and people stopped traveling, and that without my car, I'd be unemployed. 
I told him I'm an independent contractor. I told him that I obviously couldn't take bodies by cab. He understood that. He nodded, asked me a couple of questions and handed me my license, told me to be more careful in the future, which I obviously will be. I told him that from now on, I'll view all pedestrians as suicidal. He said that was smart. <laughs> he said I might still hear from the DA if they decide to prosecute, which very well might still happen, but the fact that they decided not to take my license is certainly a good sign. I went home. A few days ago, the mother contacted me again. She asked if I could cover the ambulance fee, about $130, which I'm fine with. I apologized to her for not being in touch. My lawyer told me to avoid contact. She understood and told me in no uncertain terms and in writing, I do not plan to sue you. You are not at fault. It could have happened to anyone. I will not sue you, not now and not in the future. She did that in writing specifically so that it would be binding. She is a lovely person and I am so grateful. She even told me that she asked the police to close the case and not pursue charges. She said she's still scared of cars, but that it's passing. I plan to get him a Super Wings toy, cartoon he likes, even though the mum said it wasn't necessary. Alright ladies and gentlemen, thank you very much for being with us for this episode. Oh man, I'm glad everyone in that last story was okay. It's always so hard when you can empathize with both people in a bad situation in a story. Because you can imagine yourself being the driver, you can imagine yourself being the kid, you can imagine yourself being the kid's parents. There's no good guys or bad guys. It's just a terrible situation all around. Anyway, let's hope we all have better weeks. I'm sure we will. Can't wait to see you in the next one. In the meantime, if you want any of our stuff, want to get on our Discord, on our YouTube, all of the links can be found on the rrshow.com. Until then, guys, until the next episode, peace out, take care. Do you enjoy science, spooky stories, and all things paranormal? We do too. While we would love for most paranormal stories to be true, we are here to tell you that they probably aren't. But that doesn't make them any less fun to speculate about. We are the Spooky Science Sisters podcast. In this podcast, we bring you bi-weekly discussions on possible scientific explanations behind the supernatural. Backed up by research articles and other credible sources, we do deep dives into things like archaeology and physics and share in-depth discussions with topic experts. Visit us at SpookySciencesisters.com to listen to a couple of skeptics debunk some of your favorite alien encounters, cryptid sightings, and ghost stories with science, sass, and a significant amount of laughter. Thank you and stay spooky.